Welcome to episode two of the Emotional Truth Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to hit on a few different viewpoints around communication and insecurities. For the past six years or so, I've been actively working on my communication and I realized I was raised to be a silent free thinker. By silent free thinker, I mean, I was raised to be myself, to have my own opinion and to think for myself, but not how to express and verbalize my feeling. I was not taught how to have those effective conversations where in the heat of the moment, I can effectively communicate so that my message is properly received. And I know a lot of people who can relate. I don't come from one of those verbal, I love you type of families, even though I come from a very loving family. In my family, a lot of things go unsaid. Um, A lot of people live by the saying, what's understood don't have to be explained, even though most of the time there's no understanding ever established. But I get into that in more details later on. My family also is very big on actions. We are, I can show you better, I can tell you type of people. But with me being so fascinated with psychology and how humans work and the why behind the actions, I quickly realized and learned that this is so unhealthy. The ways of my family were unconsciously embedded in me and sabotaging my adult relationships on so many different levels. I'm talking from business, friends, family, relationships, and even when it came down to my education. Although I had this realization many, many times, the time that I decided enough was enough was after a huge breakup when I completely reevaluated my life and focused on what I needed to do better to contribute to a better outcome next time. Let's be clear, by next time, I'm not talking about the breakup. I'm talking about my next relationship. I realized that in that relationship, we had poor communication skills, and a lot of our issues were centered around it. And ultimately, the unknown and unsaid fueled our insecurities, which led to our breakup. Note, I am not saying it was all my fault, but I am woman enough to admit that I contribute to it. And my focus is always improving myself and striving to become a better, more involved, more evolved human being. So when me and him talked a few years after the breakup, he expressed he felt like I didn't fight for him. And he specifically used the word fight. Um, And that was because I didn't verbally tell him how I fought when I fought or that I was even fighting. Now, I will admit that at the time of the conversation, I didn't understand where he was coming from. I felt like he was downplaying my efforts to make the relationship work. But later on, once I calmed down, I realized that I never told him what kind of reassurance I needed to get over the hurdles. So even though I felt like I was fighting with my actions, he needed to hear it and feel it to understand it. He thought he was doing all that he could do and all that needed to be done to make me forgive him. And I just kept seeing that that's not enough. And I wasn't over it. Never actually telling him what I needed. And it wasn't fair. And after that conversation, I realized that's where we went wrong. All in all, it was one of the most heartfelt, real awakening conversations of my life. And again, something I didn't realize until after the fact. But I must say it was very life changing. And before y'all ask, no, we did not get back together. I needed to have that conversation with him because we have a lot of mutual friends and we cross paths a lot. And I didn't want things to be awkward or weird. So I felt for the sake of the both of us, we needed to put everything on the table, get whatever closure we need to ensure that he knew we weren't getting back together. Because I already knew we just weren't right for each other in a relationship type of way, even though we were good friends. 
But I truly think that that conversation was necessary for both of our growth. Plus, it was a demonstration to myself how much I had grown at the time because I have this huge belief that you're not over someone or something until you can be in its presence and basically feel nothing. And by nothing, I'm talking about that petty urge we get when we're not over it and we just got to make our presence known or we just got to do something petty or we just feel that feeling. Y'all know that gut feeling I'm talking about. But I'll get into that um, later on in another episode. I do plan to do an episode on my healing process, but I know context matters, so I had to share. I'm also going to do an episode about being friends with exes and having friends of the opposite sex. But today, let's just talk about communication and insecurities. Now, before I go into my elaborate spill on communication, let's talk about insecurities and being insecure. I'm going to be technical for a moment and just define the word insecure and insecurities. Um, There are many different definitions. For the sake of time, I'm just going to use the most commonly used definition in the everyday world and the definition used in psychology. According to the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology, insecurity is a noun meaning a feeling of inadequacy, lack of self-confidence and inability to cope accompanied by general uncertainty and anxiety about one's goals, abilities or relationships with others. Its adjective is insecure. And to sum up the meaning based on Webster and dictionary.com, which is very similar to the psychology meaning, Insecurity is a noun, it's plural, it's insecurities. Insecurity is the quality or state of being insecure, such as a state or feeling of anxiety, fear, or self-doubt. They go on to include lack of dependability or certainty, lack of confidence or assurance, self-doubt, lack of safety or protection. And one of my favorite examples given by Webster states, the questions we don't dare ask reflects our deepest insecurities about relationships. And that's by J.D. Hyman. There are so many different types of insecurities. There are relationship insecurities, job and body image insecurities, social insecurities, and so on. And again, for the sake of time, we're really just going to focus on relationship insecurities, even though all of them can really just bleed into one another and kind of go hand in hand. Just like there are so many different types, there are even more causes. It can stem from traumatic events, patterns, negative experiences, social conditioning, your environment, especially work or general instability. Insecurities as a whole are very complex and they affect us in so many different ways. Sometimes they are very obvious while most time they are completely subliminal. And they're so subliminal at times that we have a hard time even recognizing them. Many we have in common with others and some are so outrageous that we feel like an alien for even having them. And the reason I mentioned definitions, types, and causes is because a lot of the time, like I just said, we don't recognize some things are insecurities until we are put in a position to be insecure. I know that's a bit cliche, but it's something I had to learn. I asked the members in my Emotion and Truth group what were their most common insecurities, and they said body image and self-doubt. I'm summing it up here, but that's basically what they said were the ones that they feel like are most common. And when I talked to them in private, Some expressed that although they felt that these were common insecurities, it's still so hard to express, address, and work around them. And oftentimes, it hinders their relationship. And I really just started thinking, like, at what point do we decide to consciously fix ourselves, heal ourselves, 
And like once you know something's hindering your relationship, you have to make the conscious decision to fix it if you value that relationship, right? But I'll move on. I used to think that some things were just stuff I didn't like. Never stopping to think, hmm, why don't I like them? And once I did stop and thought about my why, like, why don't I like this? I realized most of it is fueled by insecurities. For example, I used to think I didn't like asking the person I was dealing with certain questions because I would feel like I was nagging. And now that I'm more aware, I've come to realize that most of the questions that are even considered nagging questions center around either my insecurities or his. So I say to everyone, become more aware of your insecurities because the more aware of them you are, the more chances you have to develop ways to find security around them so that they don't interfere with your life. Now, it takes time, patience, dedication, pain, and a lot of self-reflecting to get there, but it's worth it. I'm not saying wreck your brain and figure out all your insecurities today or tomorrow, but you can actively work on this every day. For instance, I'm helping three friends work through some of their insecurities now, They said it was okay for me to mention it, especially if it can possibly help some others. So I'm going to run through some scenarios. One friend is in a relationship with a really nice person. And she has insecurities around a person being too nice. You know, the it's too good to be true mindset. Yes, yes, that can be an insecurity. Because she is always second guessing and questioning everything he does. She feels that she can't depend on his actions, words, or feelings. And those words came from her. She literally said, I can't depend on his actions, words, or feelings because it's just too good to be true. But she knows he's a good person at heart. She just completely gets in her head about things. And this is causing so many problems and so many arguments in their relationship. And she knows that she don't want to mess this up. So she's trying to figure out how can she stop overthinking in causing these problems. She reached out to me and we've been we've been working on figuring out how to make things work. And when I really had her evaluate her feelings, she concluded that she wasn't used to feeling the way he made her feel because it's the polar opposite of her past relationship, which in turn made her unconsciously feel like she didn't deserve to be treated so well and It was unusual or unreal for him to be this way. Unknowingly, she had developed an insecurity around this. Now on the flip side, I talk to him mostly to ensure I get a full picture of what's going on so that I can give unbiased, real advice from many perspectives. And I always try to do this because when you're in a relationship, especially one that's having problems, one person can't fix it. You both have to actively work to fix it. And each party involved kind of needs to understand the other person's perspective so that you guys can actually work together to find a solution. And before I can give anyone advice on these type of situations, I need to know all parties involved for the same reason. Well, I need to know enough to not be biased and to get a full understanding of the situation because I don't really like to know people's business, but I get it. Context matters. Now, my intentions are always pure. My intentions is never to take sides. It's always to really get to the root of the problem and find a solution. And that's whether my friend is right or wrong. So back to when I talked to him. He basically said that he has some good guy finished last moments where he feels like she's going to break up with him because he is a good guy, like his past girlfriends. So there are moments where he draw back. Although he expressed this to her, he don't feel confident when she tell him being nice won't be the reason we end. And 
I had to literally look at him and like, bro, you have a good guy finished last complex. Like this is literally a form of insecurity. That mindset is fueling so many different things in you that it's causing problems. And now that I've gotten both of them to realize that they have these insecurities and realize that when she gets mad at him for pulling back, it's because she feels like the good guy act was just that an act when it's really because he don't want to be too good to her because he felt like the good guy never ends up with the girl and he's going to lose anyway. So why is he putting forth so much effort? My advice to them both was first to understand that they both have valid reasons to be insecure. Second, Having insecurity is not necessarily a bad thing. It's how you convey them and how you allow them to affect you and others that matter. Third, and most importantly, it's not bad or asking for too much when you need reassurance. You should be able to expect security from your partner. So never feel bad for asking for it. Now, I must say that this is something that we are actively working on. This is an ongoing situation. But so far, my suggestions have been working and these are some of the exercises that I had them do um, outside of what I just told them. Now, because I don't know how else to really put this, I'm just gonna talk to y'all like I'm talking to them. I literally was on the phone. I was like, all right, I'm gonna give y'all, try these couple of things. It's gonna feel weird, but just do it. Just try it. Number one, now that y'all know y'all insecurities, think about some ways your partner can reassure you. Nothing generic. Things your partner can do or say that would ease your doubt, that would help you actually receive their efforts and be able to release some of the lack of confidence and anxiety, anxiety fueling your insecurity. Number two, learn your triggers. Lord, I feel like as an adult, triggers have been such a huge word and I love it, but people are picking and choosing when to pay attention to triggers. Learn your triggers and learn to express when you are triggered. Number three, now that you know each other's insecurity, be mindful and open to when and how your partner express their triggers and be open to putting in the work to reassure them. And most importantly, number four, stop, think, breathe, and think again before acting in a situation when triggered, especially when you know you could be being petty or overreacting. I even told them, call me if they need to, which they do often. But think before you react. An exercise I had them do during date night was take a moment and talk to each other about your past in regards to how you develop these insecurities and work together to find patterns and triggers. No judging allowed. This is so that you guys can understand each other. Understand where your partner is coming from and why they are the way they are. Because once you understand what people have been through, it makes you a little bit more compassionate when they ask for reassurance. Talking about the past oftentimes helps heal the wounds of the past, which can possibly dissolve the insecurity altogether if the work is done. And I also said that instead of snapping, Tell them you need a moment to gather your thoughts. Agree to revisit the situation an hour or so. Write it out and read it to each other and talk about your feelings. And if you can, write five things that you would like your partner to do that will make you feel better. And write five things that you're willing to do to make them feel better. Remember, you're in a relationship. It takes two to tangle, baby. When I first told them to try this stuff, they both were standoffish and looked at me like I was crazy. We were on FaceTime, but they thought I was crazy. And it seemed like they were, quote unquote, doing too much. 
But if this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, there's no such thing as doing too much to make it work. You would do whatever you need to do to make it work, right? If this is the person that you want to be with. They agreed and they tried it. And again, this is an active situation. But I'm happy to say that the letter suggestion definitely worked. She was triggered after dinner one day and instead of snapping, she told him she was going to go in the room and write out her feelings. After she wrote it, she called me and said, honey, I'm tripping. I'm like, what are you talking about, girl? (laughs) What are you talking about? She was like, I tried the letter thing. And I was rereading it before I went back to him and read it to him. And I realized that I'm just tripping. I'm like, okay, good. That's good. And it took her reading her own feelings and thoughts to realize that she was tripping. He did nothing wrong. Now, I did encourage her to read it to him and tell him exactly what she had told me. Um, And then they talked about it. And after they talked, told her to call me back with both of them in the room so that you know we can come up with the next step as long as he's open to it which he was and based on how it made them feel we was going to figure out what we we was going to do next but because the next step was a bit personal I'm not really going to mention that but the moral of it all was they had to step outside of their norm to get a new result they want to be together and decided to do too much to make it work It's been two months of active work, but they both are happy and they seem very happy. They say that they're happy. They have been having less blowouts and more sex. (laughs) They've gotten back to enjoying each other's company and they both actually feel supported. Now, I know everyone's values are different, but for them, this was important to get back to that happy place. And I'm happy that I was able to contribute to that. All right. Enough about them. Some more scenarios. Um, The advice I gave to my other friends in these scenarios were very similar. Actually, I gave one of them almost the exact same exercises to try. And um, but yeah, here are the scenarios. And again, I'm not going to go into full details because it is very personal, but I'm going to keep it very general. These situations are the ever so common cheating situations. So how much detail do I really need to go into? Y'all got imagination. A guy cheated on his girlfriend with someone who is not new to his life. Let's say a close friend. Girlfriend finds out and now she is pissed and wants him to cut off the other girl completely. But he don't want to cut her off because they are friends and they've been friends for so long. So now the girlfriend is insecure around this other girl. Jesus. Scenario two. Girl finds out boyfriend is still in communication with his ex, but no confirmation of sex or anything like that. Just them talking from time to time. But it's his ex. So she wants him to cut her off completely, but he doesn't want to because they are, yet again, good friends. Scenario three. Girl cheats with a co-worker. Boyfriend finds out and now he wants him fired. Woo! All three now have insecurities about the other person and anything dealing with that person is triggering. Now, one scenario was from a friend whom I'm helping get through this actively. The other scenarios were submitted to me and I did water them down a bit, but they're relatable. I'm not going to say all of us because I can't speak for everyone, but many of us have been through similar situations or know someone who has and that's men or women. But I digress. In these situations... My advice, like I said earlier, was along the same lines as the first one with one main difference. He who cheated has to work a little harder. 
You got to repair the damage your actions have done. And the other person has to completely step outside of their comfort zone and express what is necessary for him or her to forgive and vice versa. I'm talking beyond that vague bullshit we all tell ourselves. I'll get over it with time. No, you have to say, okay, in order for me to be comfortable with you being around that person ever again, I need this from you. I need that from you. And I need this from you. And I need that from you. And while we're working through this, I can only tolerate this amount of energy around that person. I'm not saying this is what has to happen. Again, I'm speaking from these situations. And this is literally what my homegirl had to say. She said, if you're going to be around this person, I need to be with you. Or if you're going to be around this person and I can't be with you, we have to have open communication at all times. And you could never be alone together. When I text, answer. When I call, answer. Be home when you say you're going to be home or call and let me know that you're going to be late. Now, this is a complicated process, but it can be done. People can move on and coexist. Honestly, you should be able to be confident that your partner will respect your relationship regardless who's around, exes included. But I'm going to save that for another episode and move on and just say that in conclusion, just be ready to do the work. It takes work to move on from hurtful situations. It takes work to work through insecurities. Just do the work. But I'm going to move on. Now, the reason I spoke on insecurities first is because we need to address them within ourselves before trying to communicate with others. So many people try to communicate without even fully understanding themselves what it is that they're trying to communicate. Communication is very complicated. It has so many moving parts, so many moving pieces, and its meaning varies from person to person. And so many people like myself and like a lot of men are not taught how to communicate. A lot of us don't even know what it means to have poor communication. They think, oh, I said what I meant, then I communicated. When the harsh reality is communication goes beyond words. Language goes beyond English. And body language goes beyond a fighting stance. Facial expression and tone matters. Love language matters in terms of communicating in relationships. And we know the saying, it's not what you say, it's how you said it. Growing up, I heard that saying so many times, it's ridiculous. Yet no one really broke it down and nobody broke down how to practice good communication skills. So here are some of the tips that I've been really implementing. Like I said in the beginning, I wasn't a good communicator and I'm still actively working on it. And this was one of the first things that I really had to fix within myself. I would speak my mind and just freely say things however they came out. Until one day, I hurt one of my close friend's feelings, even though I thought what I said wasn't rude or mean. It was just how it came out. From that day on, I decided to stop and think about, one, who am I talking to? Two, what is my message and my intentions? Three, how can I put it into words that they will understand? And boom, I realized the key to is not what you say and how you say it and effective communication. Because I really used to think that that saying only applied when you were talking and you had an attitude or you was saying something in a petty way. And I never was really introduced to the concept of effective communication until I was an adult. So here are my keys to effective communication. Number one, 
and most important, simply communicate it. Of course, in a positive way, whatever it is, find a way to express it with emphasis on your intentions and reasoning, not by being petty or rude. I say this to my friends all the time. Remember, expression without pettiness. Hurt people hurt people. And if your goal is to stay together, then why hurt your partner? Identify you have poor communication and make it known so you and whomever can work through it as necessary. Poor communication can come off as aggressive behavior, sweeping it under the rug, passive aggression, including making jokes and the silent treatment. Remember, poor communication skills is still a form of communication. Most of the time, it doesn't relay the message well. And most of the time, it's not going to end the way you want it to. So you really just have to talk about that shit. Just talk about it. Number two, know who you are talking to and how they will receive things. In terms of relationships, this fall in line with getting to know your partner. You may never know all there is to know, but you should know the bare essentials. At least enough to be able to communicate with them. This is where I thought you didn't want to know things like that. Or I didn't think you would mind. Or I figured if I didn't tell you it's not considered a lie. Would not be able to stand a chance in an argument. If you have these conversations early on and get to know what is your partner's preferences about certain things. You can avoid those silly little arguments. For example, if I'm dating someone and they're out and they bump into their ex. Before anybody else can come to me and say, hey, I saw your boo kikiing it up with his ex. You tell me as soon as you get home or as soon as you can. Shit, the car ride home would be great. Now, this is just my preference, but that would help me build trust in you and make our bond stronger. Now, of course, I can see if you're still out and the situation hasn't played out and that person calls. But don't let days and weeks go by and you never tell me this happened and then somebody come up to me with all this craziness this also comes into play when you have something hard to tell your partner that you want to make sure they understand where you're coming from and you don't want to feel like you're attacking them knowing how to phrase things based on how they are going to receive it is going to make the conversation a lot easier for instance i know that for one friend i have to approach things softly Where for another, I have to just literally flat out say the raw, dirty truth and honestly damn near hurt their feelings for them to understand my message. I had a boyfriend who I had to make sure we talked about anything serious in person for him to understand. Whereas another guy understood serious conversation better over the phone. And that was because he get distracted by facial expressions and body language. Whereas the other one can only read how serious a situation was based off of facial expressions and body language. Knowing who you are talking to dictates how you say things. You can't say things one uniform way and expect everyone to be able to understand the message or receive the message the way you want them to receive it. And you can't expect people to receive things the way you've received them. So don't think you can say things the way you would want it said to you and then act surprised when they don't get it or they feel attacked or it's not the outcome you wanted. Learn your partner's language. I'm not talking about Spanish or anything like that. Even though if they do speak another language, that could definitely help in general. But if the person you're talking to don't use super big words on a daily basis, using them in an argument isn't going to help them understand what you're trying to say. Unless it's something you use all the time and they know what you mean by it. Meet them halfway and say what you mean in a more common way or a way that you know that they will understand it. And this goes for love in general. 
I know so many people who don't understand the importance of love language and loving someone the way they receive it, not just how you want to show it. But this is a whole nother topic. All in all, oftentimes when you're in a relationship and you're in an argument, Effective communication only requires someone to be able to take a complex topic or situation and make it simple. And the only way to do that is to know who you're talking to and how they receive things. I can go on and on with examples with this, but I think y'all get the point. Know who you're talking to. Number three ties in with knowing who, who you're talking to. You also have to know and understand your role and position in someone's life. I'm sorry, but in relationships, this is so important. If we are just dating and we're new and it's just the beginning stages of the dating, your position in my life is different as to where it would be if we are two years into the relationship building towards the next step, which could be marriage. And your position in my life will be different if we live together versus separate. People have different levels of relationships or some people just call it their dating process. And it's important to know your role and what's expected of you. Now, this is important and effective communication because without boundaries, things get blurred. It can really put a gray area on what can and cannot be said and what should be addressed later on in a relationship or how you can't even address some things that, you know, you may not feel like you have the right to address, but it bothers you and it matters. It also dictates how important your opinion is to them and it can really affect how they receive your message. So just know your role and know your position in their lives. Number four, know what you want and know your purpose. Start by actually processing your feelings. Know what your intentions are and let that guide you. If you know you don't want to break up, don't say harsh, rude, or hurtful things, especially when you know you can't take it back. No matter how mad you get, before you say anything crazy, ask yourself, am I okay with this being the end or am I trying to make this work? Are you going to be okay with leaving the fake of the relationship on how they feel about you after what you just said? Know your end game and only say what lines up with your end game. Address the problem with a solution in mind. And number five, timing is everything. Give time to process and don't stress moments of silence. And don't feel bad for needing time to process things yourself. Everyone has their own process. So accept whatever yours is and tell your partner. In return, give them the same consideration. And don't forget to meet meet each other halfway. In the same token, timing is essential. If it's not the right time to have the conversation, don't have it. If there is no better time to have the conversation, meaning the time is right, don't put it off. Just have the conversation. Number six, effective communication is a two-way street. Focus on being heard and listening. So both parties need to put forth the effort to help each other understand their message. Both need to have a chance to express themselves. Both perspectives need to be addressed and weighed equally. Well, in most cases, like petty arguments where, um, of course, there will be times where one person fucked up so badly that the other person's perspective weighs a bit more. But the person who fucked up, perspective shouldn't be completely removed from the equation but that's another part of the complications of communicating (laughs) just remember it should be a conversation not a screaming match we don't want to see who can out talk who the goal should be to understand and resolve and the only way that can be done is by listening comprehending on both sides it's a two-way street Number seven, be goal-oriented. Focus on the solution. Remember the words consideration and compromise. 
Effective communication is all about being effective. If you never get to a solution, then what was the point? If the problem isn't solved on some level, all those words fell on deaf ears and were pointless. I'm not saying that all problems can be solved with just one conversation, but having the right conversation can put you on the right track. And that's what it should be all about. Relationships are give and take. And most successful, healthy relationships are a balance between the two on each side. You give, I take. I give, you take. We help each other. We love each other. We respect each other. I compromise for you. You compromise for me. Compromise is so, so important. If we consider our partners and just compromise a bit, things will be so much more healthier. The goal is to be happy together. Let's find the solution that can get us there. Moral of it all, if you are in a relationship and you want to stay in that relationship, You have to work on your communication and identify your insecurities to be able to express them so that they don't hinder the relationship. Most importantly, you have to know yourself. You have to know who you're dealing with and how they receive things in your position in their lives and vice versa. And be open and willing to do the work. Speaking of doing the work, I think Will and Jada are like the ultimate relationship and personal goals. From a general standpoint, you know what? I'm going to start doing a segment like, I think I want to call it late to the party because I'm always late and I'll never know nothing. (laughs) But I think I'm going to call it late to the party and I'm going to start talking about trending topics super late. If you know me, you know I don't really follow trends. I'm not up to date with the latest stars drama and I suck at social media, but I do feel some of this we're talking about now. I don't really feel like it's worth talking about the stars themselves, but the situations in general would be nice. Um, Small disclaimer, I would never talk about someone when I don't know their situation. There is one huge thing that the media is missing, and that is context. Y'all will learn. I live by my saying, context matters. Not to mention, a lot of these stars can buy their way out of or into anything they want. So, I'm at my tax bracket. I'm joking. But seriously, their experiences are theirs. Just like mine are mine and yours are yours. I'm going to try to keep it in general safe zone by finding a lesson in the situation. And maybe finding a way that we all can learn or grow from it. Or at least find a way that we all can relate to it and see these stars for the humans that they are. Not the drama or to feed the mania around the drama. So if that's what you're looking for, this ain't it. This ain't for you. With that being said, let's talk about Will and Jada. A few weeks ago, this was a hot topic and I still see it floating around. Now, I know that they will always be in the headlines simply because Will and Jada are unapologetically living in their truths. This is just my opinion, but I stand strong on it. They are living in their truths. Did you hear me? You heard what I said? They are living there. I'm going to say it a little louder. They are living in their, their truths. Not to mention, they are so comfortable with each other and themselves that they are allowing themselves to be vulnerable in front of the whole world. Both of which are hard to accomplish. And let's be honest, that's a level of peace I strive for. Now, I'm not saying that they are completely at peace. I don't know them personally. So, you know, I can't really say. But I can say with confidence, in today's world, it takes a certain level of peace within yourself to be able to bear it all for the world to see, knowing that social media is a dog-eat-dog world and the world is vicious. Shit, Jada has been a meme since the Red Table Talk aired. And for the most part, and this is me speaking from an outsider's point of view, 
both of them seem fairly unbothered. I mean, they clear the air from time to time, but not in a I'm pressed or my panties are in a bunch type of way. And I commend them for that. For instance, this last situation, well, I'm not sure if it's the last, but, or the latest, but the situation I'm going to be talking about, um, where social media decided that Jada was dogging Will's sex in their sex lives. She tweeted, and I quote, may not be word for word, but it's a fairly close quote. Only because I got time today. Stop making up headlines. Watch the Red Table Talk I did with Gwyneth for yourself. Will and I never had an issue in the bedroom. Thank you. I just imagine her saying that sassy as she like typed it. Just like head rolling all like, thank you. I'm like, talk your shit, mama. Set the record straight. Then I had to actually go look at the episode to see what the hype was it all about. Now, after watching this episode, I've concluded that the internet is crazy. Y'all will make something out of nothing very quick. And if I am missing something, y'all educate me before dogging me, okay? Just educate me. Send me a link, something. But I didn't hear anything about their sex lives being bad. I heard her say it was a journey and she used to expect him to know what she needed. She said, not really a direct quote, but this was a gist of the conversation. If you love me, you should know. You should read my mind. Then she agreed with Gwyneth that it was a pitfall, referring to the thought that a person should be able to read your mind. Then they went on to say that if something, if someone don't read our mind, then we feel crushed and disappointed. And Gwyneth asked, where do we get that from? And then Jada's mom was like, she grew out of it. And now she's like, tell her what you need because she can't read your mind. Then um, Jada agreed and said that she has come to grow out of it too. Then Jada said, tell me what you need and tell me what you want. And on top of that, I know that I have to be accountable to do the same. Then she says something about her um, trying and she tries to do it, but it's kind of uncomfortable. But she did say that it was deeply healthy, meaning it's healthy to express your needs, wants and desire. And then they continued the conversation. I know that was a bad paraphrasing of that entire, what is it, like 45-minute episode. But in regards to what people were talking about, that's the only thing that I heard that could fall in line with her talking about her actual sex life with Will. That kind of was somewhat negative. I don't know. That was basically the only thing I got from it. But I didn't hear her never once say that their sex was bad. Now, um, I'm going to keep this on topic and only address this from a communication and insecurity standpoint. Uh, we're going to talk about sex in a next, in another episode, maybe in the next episode. We'll see. But on a communication and insecurity aspect, a lot of people act like they haven't had to deal with it themselves. It's not like it's customary for people to get in a situation with someone where they're ready to have sex and automatically write them a guidebook or tell them the complete cheat code to pleasing them. A lot of the times we just get in there and expect the person to know what they're doing. We might even give them a little guidance saying, ooh, right there, don't stop. But we never really say, I like it this way, I like it that way. Not right out the gate. Like, I can't name any of my friends that say on the first sexual encounter that they gave a full guidebook. So I'm not understanding why her saying what she said has people bothered. It's the truth. Sex is a tough subject to talk about. 
it is uncomfortable to talk about and very taboo. So many people have insecurities around sex. They have fetishes they are ashamed of and they don't want to disclose to others. Little kiki things that turn them on so they might be scared. And especially for women, we don't want to look like too much of a freak because then he might think we're a hoe. Like I can go on, but like I can go on about sexual insecurities and how and why people don't talk about sex. So I don't quite understand the free will movement that I've been seeing. I mean, I get it's a joke, but how many people actually fully comprehend the growth Will and Jada has accomplished? I will say that after a little bit more investigation, I did see Will's response, which I'm not even going to go into that. But basically, they both seem like this is something they freely discuss and over the years have figured out how to make it work for them. And they are happy in sexing. The more I learn about the relationship, the more I'm convinced that they have mastered effective communication with each other. They are fully aware of the majority of their insecurities and are putting in the work to secure each other. Their relationship may not be conventional, but it works for them. And I've heard them both say a number of times that communication and understanding has been the key to their 22 some odd years of marriage. I may have that number wrong, but I think it was like 22. Like, they know, know each other. And I love it. Like I said, sex is one of the most common and complex insecurities for so many people. Am I pleasing my partner? Am I making them happy? Or a guy having to ask, did you finish? And the infamous question, I can't tell if you came or not. Did you come? Yada, yada, yada. But if you're willing and able to learn how to communicate what you want and what you need, and your partner is willing to reassure you and give you what you want and what you need, you could be having the best sex of your life. But you know what? On that note, I'm just going to wrap up this episode. This week's lesson, um, lesson one is there's power and focus on effective communication. We really need to learn to stop arguing so much and find the solution. Lesson two, learn and talk about your insecurities. Lesson three, understand your partner. I'm going to keep preaching this. Get to know the meat and bones of your partner, their past, present, and future. Without it, you would never truly know them. And I'm not saying you can know everything there is to know about a person, but know the essentials. It's okay to talk about the past because the past helps shape us into who we are. It's okay to talk about who we are, flaws and all, because we are who we are. Lastly, it's important to talk about the future because it tells us who we aspire to be. And that is so important because you need to know if the life they see for themselves line up with what you want and need before truly investing any time or energy. But always remember, live in your truth. Thank you for listening and see you guys on the next episode. Be blessed.